Hi, I'm Ross Tuttle filling in for Ashley Ford, and this is 112BK. Coming up, Reimagine End of Life Festival is coming to New York City Saturday for a full week, exploring the issue of death from a variety of perspectives, including this one. My friend Joe and I were co-hosting the other day. We kind of hopped on the phone just to talk about what we would say to warm the crowd up. And we were just laughing, like talking about our dads dying, but it was very funny. You know, there's like so much that happens um, in grief that's just hilarious. Hmm. And then in case you didn't know, Brooklyn has its very own paranormal society. We didn't go to their Joey Ramone ghost hunt. We missed it, unfortunately. But we did invite the co-founders into the studio. I feel I feel something here. Yeah. When I walked in and look, you know, I like to deny it, but deep down inside I have, you know, really strong psychic uh, abilities and uh, you know, when I walked in here, I, I felt something strange. If there's spirits here, tell us what your name is. Do an internet search for Brooklyn Paranormal Society, because of course, you'll find a bunch of first-person articles with essentially the same headline, I went ghost hunting with the Brooklyn Paranormal Society. If you did, you likely went to a haunted Gowanus recording studio, a Greenpoint wine bar, or Arlene's Grocery, the site of the Society's most recent adventure, where they sought the spirit of Joey Ramone, lead singer of the punk rock band The Ramones. Why not Arlene's Grocery, the gritty Lower East Side music venue? We know Joey Ramone isn't buried in a pet cemetery. But what did they discover? And what can you expect from a night out with this unusual crew? We have those questions and more for the co-founders of what could be Brooklyn's most unusual social club. We welcome Anthony Long. Thanks for joining us today. And Andrew Arnett. Welcome to 112BK. So, Anthony, I want to start with you. When did you decide that the thing Brooklyn was missing was a paranormal society? Yeah, the last day of August of uh, 2015, I was working at a startup that just didn't have a lot going for it. Had a really loose schedule. I used to, uh, you know, work from home, which really is playing work hooky and a uh, day drink. I uh, was out that day with a coworker mm-hmm. and essentially a, a friend couple, husband and wife, bartender, and you know, we were just shooting the uh, stuff, drinking. And we were talking about Ghost Adventures, a TV show, mm-hmm. and how you know we kind of like the ghost hunting uh, aspects of it, but we felt almost as if the show was making us feel dumb for believing what they were putting out there. They were far more into the paranormal, and there's a lot that they could stomach, but maybe like the the scratches, they weren't buying. And uh, you know, I thought to myself, when people watch this, they take it very seriously. The shows out there also take it very seriously. So this was sort of inspired by some of the reality shows, a lot of those paranormal mm-hmm. reality shows and, and some alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so you decided to kind of put together this group. You put up yeah. a flyer that, Andrew, you saw, right? Yeah, it was in October. Uh, I guess uh, the timeline is like a, a month after the group started. And I was walking through downtown Brooklyn with my girlfriend and uh, we were just wondering, you know, what are we going to do this weekend? We walked by this flyer, and then I just, like, I did a double take. I said, hold on. And then I walked back, and I saw drunken ghost hunting. And I'm like, well, you know, these are, like, two of my favorite activities, like, <laughs> put together. So you weren't shy about advertising what, what was really going on. That's what it is. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Great. So then you reached out, and you guys founded the Society. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I went, and then um, it was a ghost hunt in the lower lower east side, 
And then from there, uh, Anthony and I took this sort of concept, and for the next few years, we just you know, went so on many different adventures, and mm -hmm. it evolved to right. a, a lot of different things. So tell me, what equips you guys for this work? We have in front of us, for the, for the listeners, um, some tools of the trade, which I'll have you describe for us in a moment. But is this what equips you for, for this work, or what equips you sort of physically, emotionally, psychically for this work? Well, we have a bunch of equipment here, and uh, Anthony collected a bunch of things over time. But uh, I think a sense of fun and uh, an inquisitive nature uh, and an open mind about the world we live in mm. is the starting basis. Mm. When you look at our group count, we have over 950 members. And, you know, in, in that we obviously have, you know, a fair amount of detectives, which are what we call our investigators. We also have psychics, shamans, wizards, witches. When you combine the experience of all these people, you have hundreds of years of experience. So does somebody say write in or call in? I understand you have a hotline. It's 8444-4-Ghouls. 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 Maybe we can put that on mm -hmm. a, a little caption. We have a, a <laughs> very interesting voicemail mm -hmm. that we can play for you. All right. Do you have, okay, well, I'll ask you <laughs> about you? that. Um, so people call in or maybe you have a hunt in mind, one that mm -hmm. you want to go, like the Joey Ramone hunt. How did that come into being? And maybe you could tell me really briefly... Anthony, how that got initiated and what the results were? We received a tip in person, actually, from a guitarist that said while playing on stage, he experienced auditory hallucination, if you will. He began to hear rock and roll high school in his mind while he was playing whatever song his band was playing. At Arlene's Grocery. Yeah. Uh, so we, we basically you know, took this and uh, developed an investigation around it. We found a woman who uh, knew Joey Ramone personally like 20-something years ago because maybe she dated a brother of the drummer or something right. like that. Uh -huh. And uh, she claimed to have been in close proximity uh, and also have been touched by Joey Ramone several times. Mm -hmm. And so she was, kind of, she was the medium. And she was of, like the vessel, if you will, because we see. had we had real you know mediums there, uh -huh. uh, and they were utilizing their skill and kind of hoping that her presence would amplify mm. his spirit. I see, and did it. Uh, so I would say no. Mm. The reporter who covered this would also say no, but we both would say that the woman who had this relationship to Joey, did experience something. Uh-huh. And, Andrew, what would you say? Well, I, I thought there was no, like, verifiable evidence that something was there. But, you know, it's, it's more like you come to a situation like this, and you're not really expecting to find a ghost. Mm -hmm. I mean, no one has a picture of a ghost Nothing of that nature. It's like the idea of getting people together, discussing Joey Ramone, and then you hear stories about ghosts. But an offshoot of what happened, because a guy became a, a center of focus, we'll just call him James or the captain. Mm. And this guy started talking about this horrific poltergeist activity in his house. And he's like a retired guy. He's seems perfectly sane, but horrible things are happening to him. You know, his electronic equipment is being uh, smashed. Yeah. 
So this is like something that's really interesting. And then usually you go to these things and you hear great stories. So this was somebody who attended the Joy Ramon event and then exactly. he was there to basically solicit you guys. Yeah. yeah. But let's, so let's be clear. You guys aren't like, you know, ghost Busters, you're, you're not doing exorcisms, or you're not going to help, you know, eradicate any ghosts from his presence, are you? Well, no, but we would assist in identifying whether something supernatural is occurring or not with these tools that you have here. So let's get down to brass tacks, though. So Anthony, you do you believe in this stuff? I believe, uh, I believe in some of it. You know, oh, sure, right. maybe. But you of of the two, you would. Be considered the skeptic. You know, you're the you're the Scully to to um, Andrews Mulder. I gotta tell you, I I do sometimes feel that way, mm-hmm. but other times I feel like some of the things I believe have pushed him to the more sane end. Whereas, not to say he's insane or his beliefs are, but uh, before when he came to the group, he was you know researching aliens, right, or writing stories on these things. And to me, I was like, wow, that's out there. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like maybe the roles are a little reversed where uh-huh. as time goes on, I may be deeper on the paranormal spectrum. So you start to dig into this stuff a little bit and you find things that kind of maybe affirm. Mm. You find what you're looking for. You find what you're looking for. Andrew, what do you think? There are a few episodes of X-Files. There's one where uh, Scully experiences all kinds of weird things, communications uh, through, let's say, songs on the radio, other coincidences, and then she thinks something is going on, something paranormal, and she discusses it with Mulder, and Mulder's like, no, no, that's, you know, he shoots it down, like, with a a realistic explanation, and there's no, like, strict format, Mm. but, yeah, you could sort of generalize Mm. that way. But and have you seen anything to kind of reaffirm your your what your pre-existing beliefs had been before coming to the society? Yeah, um, I was in Seattle in 1997, and um, I was uh, at that time playing in rock bands, and um, there was a um, a group of lights that went over the city. Mm. They were like a, a swarm of red lights. And it caused a big stir. It was like uh, the local news was reporting it. AP stories were coming out that week about UFOs. And then they were sort of dismissed as uh, media rights. Hmm. But there's more to that story. And that Which sort I, of started uh, me going on that. Huh. Well, <clears throat> we don't have a lot of time sure. to get into that now. We're actually running out of time. But yeah. before we before we wrap up, I know a couple things I want to get to is first to talk about some of these tools of the trade that you have with you. Again, for our listeners, it looks like something like a, sort of a cross between a Sony Walkman and a tiny kid's accordion with a viewfinder. All right. So let me ask you this. Are, are, there, are we getting a readout that there might be ghosts in this room? I feel I feel something here. Yeah. When I walked in and look, you know. I like to deny it, but deep down inside, I have you know really strong psychic uh, abilities, and uh, you know when I walked in here, I, I felt something strange. You did. I did. Uh, well, there are, there have been a lot of strange things that have happened in this room for sure, um, and then we've got just like a little like a little um, radio over there, uh, maybe a spirit a, box. Spirit box. Oh. This uh, cycles through radio waves uh-huh. and uh, creates almost a bed of white noise, and mm-hmm. some say you can get a response from the spirits through it. Mm-hmm. And so what happens if you turn that on? <laughs> it makes the most god-awful noise. All right, let's, let's, let's yeah. try it. Is it going to pierce our ears? Yeah, it's annoying. 
So we normally would ask a question like, mm -hmm. if there are spirits here, tell us what your name is. Mm -hmm. And then as this thing cycles through the AM cycles, you know, you listen. Mm -hmm. And it's because the premise is that like, uh, if uh, a spirit is energy, mm -hmm. then this is a form of energy. Uh -huh. And this is a way to like, Manipulate. between uh -huh. worlds and dimensions, uh -huh. they could work through that. And we've had results, uh -huh. but for yeah. the mo you know, maybe one out of 10 times, something mm -hmm. significant comes up. Above everything, I mean, this is for fun, right? I mean, you guys are having a good time with this. This is kind of a social gathering. Well, yeah. well, you know, it's a lot of fun, but the thing is, the paranormal world, it's fun, but it's also, it's serious mm -hmm. in many ways. Now, just this weekend, there's been a major news story that's erupted right here in Brooklyn. What happened was that there was a, a group of Wiccans in a local bookstore named Catland, right. and they said, we're going to put a hex on Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, the, the Supreme Court, the recently exactly. um, confirmed Supreme Court justice. Yeah. And so this has stirred, like, this has caught a lot of, like, uh, national headlines. And as a response, there's a, uh, uh, an exorcist, a Catholic mm -hmm. priest in San Jose, who's also started a mass in retaliation of this. Right, wow, and trying to remove the hex. To, to block it or remove wow. it. So it's and a bi-coastal, it's a kind of tit-for-tat. Exactly. Yeah. So, east side, west side. <laughs> So there's a lot going on with uh, this, and we just, you know, we're interested, we're fascinated. Maybe there's nothing paranormal per se, but sociologically well, speaking, yeah. it's, we it's fancy, interesting. We fancy ourselves to be paraanthropologists. Right. Yeah. Well, interesting. We'll, we'll have to get to that anthropo anthropological side next time. Unfortunately, we are out of time. This time, oh, before we go, the one thing I know you guys wanted to plug this weekend, you have an event coming up. We do. Uh, please join us at the Green Pointers market it's uh sunday one two seven come see the brooklyn paranormal society and all our psychics and green pointers market in green point on 67 west street. west street right and it is halloween your biggest time of year mm. so we'll see maybe Join a lot of people come out all right well um anthony andrew thanks so much for coming out today i appreciate it thank you thank you Hi, welcome to the show. It's officially the start of Halloween. That's right, we're beginning the celebration early here on 112BK with talk of ghosts and going the way of all flesh. Coming up, a chat with the co-founders of the Brooklyn Paranormal Society, who will hopefully help us get the real answer to the all-important question, who are you gonna call? But first, you may remember a few shows back when we spoke to a death doula, a woman who helps individuals ease out of life. Starting Saturday, she, along with thousands of others, focused on issues of death will be convening at the Reimagine End of Life Festival, billed as a week-long celebration of life through creativity and conversation. One conversation starter is the question, can death be funny? Our next guest appears to have an answer. She made the film Senior Escort Service as a response to the sudden death of her father. Here's a clip. It's too long. It has a lot of verses. Is the Leonard Cohen song super long or something? I don't think so. Who's Marshall? He's a good family friend and a terrific musician. Is he Jewish? No. We can have the choir sing something. Absolutely not. Everything they wear is a different shade of black. They have these hideous binders. They walk super slow. I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. No, thank you. Your father loved the choir. My father loved Hallelujah. Fine, I'll sing Hallelujah. Great. The film is part of her presentation at the festival, what she's calling the Good Grief Show. She's also the filmmaker behind the Brick TV series Dinette, 
also director of Baby Mooners and a multi-talented radio personality. We welcome Shana Feinberg back to 112BK. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So, so just to jump right in, tell me, when did you decide that this would be a response to your father's death? Um, let's see. Well, about five weeks after my dad died, I made a short film about his shiva. Mm-hmm. And I had so, so much... So for, for those who don't know what shiva is, it's, it's the week-long it's, period yeah. of mourning in the Jewish tradition? Yeah, right. it's a, yeah, a week-long um, Jewish mourning ritual. Right. And it, so much funny stuff happened at his actual shiva. Mm-hmm. So uh, three friends of mine and I, we decided to sort of recreate it, and we made a short mm-hmm. that went to Tribeca. And What funny happens at a shiva? Well, like someone came who was potty training their kid and the kid pooped all over their pants so then they're walking around just in their underwear Mm -hmm. and then some people who show up like looked worse than my dad when he was dead you know like there's just I don't know there's more it's morbid but you know everyone comes to tell stories Mm -hmm. and a lot of the stories about my dad were funny and it was just you know people like you go into the bathroom and someone's like clearly peed all over the bathroom and you're, it's just weird right. and bizarre also yeah. it was my dad died the day before trump was inaugurated mm. so like there was all of this sort of movement around mm. that and right. so we put that into the short like mm. this kind of trump right. stuff like calling your senators was in, was in our shiv, our short called shiva uh-huh. But after I made that, I was like, I'm not done. I still have so much more to say hmm. about my dad dying. And I had, I wanted a container right. to put all of my feelings about him dying and about having, about grief. And just before he died, he had pitched me a web series called Senior Escort Service. Hmm. So I just wanted to use that too. Like I thought it was really funny, his we, idea. Yeah, well, we were talking in the office before the segment a little bit about, in, in light of this festival coming up, about sort of the performance performance of, of grief. And yours is a sort of very explicit way, but I think, you know, culturally, historically, it's always been that way. Like, you know, open casket in some ways is a, is a performance. Um, and a lot of the sort of the performance, I guess, that, that comes out, you know, in the film, I, I wonder if you were sort of conscious of that and conscious of like showing, you know, putting out your emotions so that they, they were real to you and to others. Yeah, I mean, I one of the best side effects of my dad dying was that I wrote him like a eulogy mm. and as a performer like I felt like I killed, like I right. really did a great job. Mm. Um like I headlined right. and I I did well. Like people uh, laughed, they cried. It was yeah. but that's a performance right. and the same with Shiva is a performance and It's interesting. I mean, I I did the same thing. I read a eulogy at my dad's funeral and a lot of people were surprised that I wanted to do that. Like how can you compose yourself and are you going to be able to do it without breaking down? And you know, I broke down, but that's that's part of it. I mean, I imagine that was the hard thing for you, but you are a performer. I'm not. So I didn't break. I was yeah. like um, I took off my shoes because I knew that I had to feel grounded, mm. uh, but I didn't break down. Like, and I just felt like I did a great job doing it. I was happy to do it. Like, I included jokes of his mm. in it, and I mean, I wasn't happy to be doing it, but I was happy to kind of summarize his life in this way that felt funny and real. Uh huh. So you are going to be contributing to the Reimagine End of Life Festival. Why is the end of life something that needs to be reimagined? Personally, I think that there's not enough talk about it. Like mm. what I felt when I was grieving my dad, I mean, I'm still grieving him, but what I felt was that 
you're allotted a couple days or mm. a couple months or whatever, a certain amount of time. As long as you have that black patch on yeah, your Yeah, like you're okay. I get it. I feel bad mm. for you. This is sad. Right. But then you're expected to just kind of go on. The thing is like they, the person never comes back. And every single person deals with grief of a loved one at some point in their lives. Mm. And I just think that talking about it more and mm. sort of reimagining how we deal with death in our lives would be better. Mm-hmm. Like I love the idea of a death doula. Right. Um, no, which is which is incredible and it seems like, you know, that that's an obvious thing that that should happen. And so that there does seem to be more of a focus on healthy death where people kind of separate it from life and it's all part of life. But I also wonder if this is something sort of that we're that we're going back to traditionally, historically, that people already did. And now we're almost over fixated. And one might say, well, again, dying is part of life. Just it happens. Get over it. Yeah. But what if we were to say, like, dying is part of life. It happens. And you don't have to get over it. Like, you can kind of make death be more a part of your life or maybe getting over it sure is a good idea but maybe there's just ways to help people to get over it more Mm. Uh, something I found was after my dad died I just wanted to tell everyone Mm. and I would be with like total strangers and be like my dad just died and then what I found was that they would be like oh my so-and-so died Mm. two years ago and then we would have this really real interaction and then like it was an interaction I would never have had with them Mm. so I think that's like I think it's cool to just talk sure. about it more, like air air the dirty laundry a little more. How did you feel about that? Because I can imagine it, you know, and I, I was in that situation too where you're feeling something, you're feeling this weight, and yet you're with people who may not know, and you kind of want them to know it's not quite like you want somebody to know it's your birthday. Right. But you want to share something, and you feel a little bit guilty about burdening somebody with that or making them feel bad for not knowing. I didn't feel that burden. I felt like... I had to be real. In order to be Mm -hmm. real and be myself, I had to tell them, like, look, this happened to me and I'm struggling with it. Mm -hmm. And I almost always found that they were like, I'm struggling too. And it was just nice to be like, oh, we're both struggling. And then we could, like, kind of move on and be like, do you want to split the fish tacos or whatever? (laughs) But it's like meeting someone in a real place and Uh moving forward together just felt really nice to me. Uh Well, so let's talk about the senior escort service. And we we showed a little clip that was the one where you're talking to maybe the canter or somebody. You're walking through your apartment. That is from, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so so tell us about that. And then, I mean, wanting to play Leonard Cohen at his funeral. And um, and just about about the about the film. Well, so the day after my dad died, I was planning the funeral with the rabbi, and I really wanted to play Leonard Cohen. And they were like, "It's too long." And I I just like I couldn't understand why. Whatever. Anyways, the 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 cantor said she would do it, and then she didn't. And that was kind of for me this like driving force of my movie was like, I wanted to make this movie because I wanted to sing this song. And so mm. I, I dramatized that scene. Mm. I used two amazing Jewish actors to play the rabbi and the cantor. And it was super fun to do that scene with them. For me, I felt like I needed to like tell that story about, like uh, for closure. The whole movie is me going on these journeys and eventually getting to sing my dad a song mm. at the end. And how much of this was informed by, say, other experiences that other people had that maybe you heard when you were telling people about your experience, or was this all very personal? So my dad was a therapist, and he once had said to me that his dinner parties felt like 
group therapy. Mm -hmm. So I did shoot at one point, I shot a dinner party where I had people telling their personal stories. And so some of those stories are in the movie. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of a mix of like some other people's stories, but the driving force Mm -hmm. of it is my desire to kind of contain all of these feelings and mm. and also be like a detective like when my dad died I like looked through his phone a ton to see if there was like something I was missing and mm. he had this journal called senior escort service because I had told him to write down his ideas and so mm. I read the journal a bunch and I actually found out about this um, book called ghost stories by a German author and in that book um, he talks about how the grandchildren of Nazis developed this technique called Familienaufstellung, which means family constellation, Hmm. where like they tap all of these strangers to play people in their family and reenact their trauma. And then that's supposed to help them get over their trauma. So Hmm. I did that in the movie too. Like I had all these women Hmm. uh, join me in a loft and we, I assigned them all roles and then we reenacted the trauma of my dad dying but it's also funny. Right. I mean, would you call it a comedy? I would. I think everything I do is a comedy, but mm-hmm. it's also I think I think it'll make you laugh, it'll make you cry. I mean, mm-hmm. ultimately it's sad, but mm-hmm. it is funny. There's a lot of funny stuff in it. So having put this out there into the world, um, having this having this be your statement in a way and kind of encapsulating a lot of your emotions, wouldn't say all of them necessarily, but do you feel like then that how helpful was that for you in, in the whole process? And do you feel like you've come to some kind of terms with it? Yeah, I love, I'm so happy I did it. Like, I have yet to figure out what I'm going to do with it. Like, mm-hmm. on Monday for Reimagine uh, End of Life, I am doing this show, and I'm going to show clips from mm-hmm. it and talk about making it. Right. But I still don't know, I, I think it's a, g- a good conversation piece, and I think if someone watched it, it would mm-hmm. help them think about their own grief. Mm-hmm. But... I'm so happy I made it. Like, mm-hmm. I can watch it and see items of my dad, and I can see his face. I made a bunch of people dress up like him, mm-hmm. and that was cool. Like, it right. just. In his clothes. Yeah, in his clothes. They all wore mm-hmm. the same shirt and mm-hmm. his watch, mm-hmm. and I made them, like, mimic my face, which is basically uh, his face. So uh-huh. I would, like, sit behind the camera and be like, <laughs> you know, and then they would do that. Wait, um, so for those who are listening, that was kind of like, how would you describe that face? Oh, you just like made? a sort of like a goofy, slightly concerned Mm -hmm. face, like a Uh, grimace. A grimace. But not a a bad grimace, like Uh a a goofy grimace. Uh And yeah, so, and it's just like amazing. Like now, sometimes in the mornings, I'll just like watch a little segment of it and feel Hmm. like, you know, I've connected with my dad and it, it's it's funny and it's sad and it just, I don't know, I'm just, I'm so happy I finished it. Mm. And I want to talk about the Good Grief show in a minute. Just one yeah. final question about your dad. What do you th- what do you think your dad would think of the film? I think he would have loved it. He it's so him. Mm-hmm. I I did use some of his he did voice lessons like he mm. did singing lessons and I used some of his warm up in part of the movie where he's like me my mo or whatever. Not that, but like mm-hmm. he does these Right. singing vocal warm-ups. Vocal and I think he would be a little bit like, I wish you hadn't used that. But otherwise, I think he would have loved it. It's mm-hmm. it's so complicated and messy and about feelings and funny and sad, and I think it totally encapsulates his personality. How old was he when he died? He was 74. Mm-hmm. So The Good Grief Show, which yeah. is going to be at, what is it, KGB? It's the Red Room at KGB Bar, okay. which is 85 East 4th Street. Right. So tell tell me, I know you already you, you introduced that a bit, but tell, tell us a little bit more about that. 
um, we're doing like a comedy show, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, we have nine acts. Uh, it'll be me and my co-host, Joe Schiappa, who's a comedy writer. And then we have a bunch of comedians. We have Carolina Teresa, Mike Brown. We have a, Dre Campbell, uh, Rachel Dry, and Jeff Seal. And then we have two musicians, uh, Adira Amram and Cornmo. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's going to be coming <laughs> and either singing or talking about grief you know, in a light way. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's, it's just like my friend Joe and I were co-hosting the other day. We kind of hopped on the phone just to talk about what we would say to warm the mm. crowd up. And we were just laughing, like talking about our dads dying, but it was very funny. You know, mm. there's like so much that happens right. um, in grief. That's just hilarious. Hmm. It, you know, so in the, the trailer for the festival, the way they talk about it is sort of uh, figuring out and to paraphrase, figuring out how to live a better life through understanding or coping with or preparing for or understanding, not really understanding, but, you know, dealing with death. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do, you, what do you say to that? I, I mean, I think that's great. Like, I, I think that I am, I've always struggled to live a full life. And now I think I definitely am living a fuller life post my dad's mm-hmm. death because it was such a shock and it's and it's like this thing where like it continues like Mm. it's not like he goes on vacation and then comes back it's like so it's it's a thing that just keeps shaping who I am and I think that anytime we can learn how to like deal with something like that um with a bigger heart or with more of ourselves Mm. I think it's great like one thing I noticed about the day that he died was that I was super present Mm. and like I'm not normally like in my life I'm kind of like I have to get the dry clean I have to you know like you're kind of in your head all the time and that was like a day in my life that I can say I can pinpoint that day and be like I was absolutely present at that and so I think that that would be a cool thing for us to all try and achieve more as being more present in our own lives and I think dealing with death and really facing it head on um, helps you do that. Well, great. I'm afraid we're going to have to end it there. Um, But thank you so much for joining us. And Shana Feinberg, who's uh, the Good Grief show is going to be, again, tell us. October 29th at the Red Room at KGB Bar, 85 East 4th Street, uh, Mm -hmm. 8 o'clock. And then the Reimagine End of Life Festival begins Saturday the 27th and I think goes for about a week. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think to November 2nd. November 2nd. Yeah. And spans Halloween. Yeah, and it's like over 300 events. Wow, over 300 events, a lot of performers, a lot of acts, one one issue. Um, Are there any events in Brooklyn, do you know? Yeah, there's tons. I know okay. Donna Hennis, Mama mm. Donna Hennis. Mm-hmm. She's doing something about dead animals or oh. dying animals in mm. Prospect Park. I, right. I, there's tons. There's right. so many. And it was purposefully scheduled to kind of go across Halloween, I'm guessing? I, or is that I'm guessing, but I have no idea. Right. I think so, though. Okay. Yeah. Well, it would be a good event for people to go to if they're looking for something a little extra on their Halloweens. Yeah, exactly. Okay, thanks a lot, Thank Shana. you for having me. And now, some news. On Tuesday, City Councilman Jumani Williams announced a bid for the New York City Public Advocate seat. It was only a matter of time. The three-term councilman of the 45th District is looking to take the would-be vacant seat of current public advocate Letitia James, who's favored to win the race for New York State Attorney General. 
The position acts as a watchdog over the mayor and New York City agencies and investigates complaints about city agencies, according to the Public Advocate website. As Election Day nears, the crusade to win the 22nd state Senate district seat is pushing both sides of the political aisle down a path of sketchy electioneering practices. The seat is currently held by Republican Marty Golden, who's being challenged by Democrat Andrew Gennardis. During a well-attended Department of Education meeting on specialized high schools at IS201 last week, Golden's communications director, John Quaglione, tweeted that Gennardis' staffer was distributing election materials inside the school. Now, according to the city's regulations of the chancellor rules, school facilities may not be used on behalf of any candidate or elected official for political campaigning. The Gennardis campaign responded to the charge by accusing the Republican Party of doing its own electioneering at the venue. It shared a photo of a flyer boosting Republican candidates, which they claim was distributed at the event as well. An affordable housing lottery launched last week for 73 newly constructed apartments at 810 Fulton Street on the border of Fort Greene and Clinton Hill. RxR Realty is developing the 12-story mixed-use property featuring a total of 363 rental apartments and 33,000 square feet of retail space. Amenities include a 24-hour attended lobby, an on-site resident manager, a landscape courtyard, a washer-dryer in every unit, etc. The deadline for application is Thursday, December 20th. Check out NYC Housing Connect for more information on how to find and apply for affordable housing. At this point, you have as much chance of winning the housing lottery as Tiger Woods has of winning the Masters this year. And Tiger's playing pretty well. In efforts to mitigate the impact of the forthcoming L-Train shutdown, the MTA has announced plans to boost subway service by more than 1,000 additional round trips every week across seven subway lines during the 15-month period of the apocalypse. While the idea of additional round trips on several different subway lines sounds like the logical thing to do, one might wonder if the aging, delay-plagued system can take on an even heavier workload. The reality is, probably can't. That's the show for today. Tomorrow, Ashley will be back to talk about Brooklyn Tech Week and the new fest happening now, the 30th year of the city's premier LGBTQ film festival. Hope to see you then. One One Two BK is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It is also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Barghi, Isabel Alcantara, Ariana Rosas, Kritzi Roberts, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hagaseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. And it is edited by Mira Al-Rahim. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. <laughs>